From snow to a snowstorm in the United States to extended drinking hours to a four-year-old skating on frozen ice, there's a lot to do. Welcome to London Live. We are brought to you by Winmar, your restoration specialist. We are going to be talking tax help in our second hour of the show today. I don't know about you, I'm not a big RRSP guy. Should I be? I don't know. I've often said, I don't plan to retire. I don't care what I do. It's probably not going to be this. At some point, you will take me and shovel me off the airwaves and say, I've had enough of that guy. I don't want to hear from him anymore. Goodbye. And that's what will happen. But in the meantime, I love what I do. It's fantastic to be here. I don't plan to retire. So RRSPs have never been a thing that I've, I've really put my head into or put my money into. But I'm going to talk with Lisa Gittens, who is a senior tax expert. We'll get her thoughts on, obviously, what RRSPs can do. She says the words, if you're not investing in those, you're leaving money on the table. So that's coming up in hour number two. As well, human trafficking has been a very serious topic in this area for a couple of weeks. And we're fortunate enough today to be able to talk with Barbara Goss, who's the CEO of the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking. And we'll talk about the hotline that is being set up, but just some of the ways people get involved in this. It's not what you think. It is vulnerable parts of our population, but it isn't always. It's not what you think. This is a whole lot more prevalent in a whole lot more frightening ways than we could ever imagine. So that is coming up in hour two as well. But why don't we begin just with something we'll keep our eye on throughout the show. His former Donald Trump lawyer, Michael Cohen, testifying before a House Oversight Committee in the United States. That's the snowstorm I'm referring to in the U.S. There are two main sides in this. And if there is an event that has painted a picture of how divided we have become, this is it. This is the one right here, because if you are a supporter of Donald Trump, then Cohen is completely wrong. If you are someone who is not a supporter of Donald Trump, then Cohen is completely right. And that's the way that this has gone. Remember, and I encourage you, please, if you have not listened to Russia Rising yet, that's a podcast that you can find on the Curious Cast Network. It is really, really well done. And it just came out with a new episode last week. There's a new one that is due out this week. And it puts an idea forward that I still find absolutely fascinating. And we've talked about this on the show before. Jeff Semple does it. And he is Global's International Bureau Chief. And it's fantastic. The raw sound that he uses in it. You can hear when he's taking the train. He's got the sound of the train. It's just, it's a really good listen. But he talks to a number of people. And... Again, I kind of start my day naive, and I always figured that if Russia had a hand in trying to fix the U.S. election or trying to manipulate the U.S. election, I always felt that it was just because they saw Donald Trump as a stronger ally. And hey, there you go. But one of the theories that is put forward in Russia rising is the idea that, no, that's not what they wanted to do. Right now, we have a few types of democracy. We can say, hey, we're all... No, democracy has changed a lot. And we have a few different types of democracy. And one of the types that we have is completely free. You can say what you want. You can do what you want. 
And one of the theories put forward is that Russia had these kind of troll factories where they would create crap and fake stories and stuff on Facebook and other social media, Twitter, and their end goal was not necessarily to get a certain individual elected. It was to make North America and our style of democracy look like an absolute gong show so that then you could have Vladimir Putin, who will be coming up for re-election, able to point West and say, yeah, you like West? You like what they do over there? Yeah, you think that's great? Look at the disaster that they are. They're divided. They don't get along. It's an absolute mess. You want their style of democracy or do you want this one? You want managed democracy. And that's one of the things put forward. And that still strikes me. And I, I was absolutely blown away by that. Maybe, again, it's a little naivety. Maybe not, though. I hadn't thought of it in that context before. And it makes sense. So today, today is that moment when we do see the divide. Because we could open the phones right now, and if you want to, if you want to call in, I encourage you, please, do so. Let me know how exactly you're feeling about all of this, whose side you're on, because that's what it is. 519-643-2222, if you want to call. If you believe that Michael Cohen is telling the truth, then you are against Donald Trump. If you believe that Michael Cohen is lying, then you are with Donald Trump. And those are the two sides, and they are very, very distinct. Let me just take you back to part of Michael Cohen's opening statement. Never in a million years did I imagine when I accepted a job in 2007 to work for Donald Trump that he would one day run for the presidency to launch a campaign on a platform of hate and intolerance and actively win. I regret the day I said yes to Mr. Trump I regret all the help and support I gave him along the way. I am ashamed of my own failings and publicly accepted responsibility for them by pleading guilty in the Southern District of New York. I am ashamed of my weakness and my misplaced loyalty of the things I did for Mr. Trump in an effort to protect and promote him. I am ashamed that I chose to take part in concealing Mr. Trump's illicit acts rather than listening to my own conscience. I am ashamed because I know what Mr. Trump is. He is a racist, he is a con man, and he is a cheat. And anyone who has enjoyed what Donald Trump stands for, anyone who believes what Donald Trump stands for is going to say, no way. That guy's wrong. That guy's just trying to help himself. That guy is simply trying to reduce his own prison sentence. That's what he's trying to do. That's why he's talking. And, hey, that's a fair statement. Why not? Now, in terms of a little something else, we have a check to Stormy Daniels that has come into question. That Michael Cohen has. And here is Michael Cohen being asked about that and addressing this particular check. You said you brought some checks. Yes, sir. Let me ask you about one of these. Um, this uh, from the Trump Trust that holds the uh, president businesses. 
Can you tell me who signed uh, this check? I believe that the top signature is Donald Trump Jr. And, and the bottom signature, uh -huh. I believe, is Alan Weisselberg's. And can you tell me the date of that check? March 17th of 2017. Now, wait, wait a minute. Hold up. The date on the check is after President Trump held his big press conference claiming that he gave up control of his businesses. How could the President have arranged for you to get this check if he was supposedly playing no role in his business? Because the payments were designed to be paid over the course of 12 months and it was declared to be a retainer for services um, that would be provided for the year. So that is Michael Cohen addressing one of the checks in question, but the check that they are talking about that will create the biggest concern in all of this is the one that is allegedly to pay off Stormy Daniels, that there were lies to Donald Trump's wife. I mean, this this makes its way much like a movie. It's it's absolutely wild to see how all of this kind of plays out. So, divided lines? Yeah, we've got them. There are people who will continue to support U.S. President Donald Trump throughout all of this. And you're not going to change their mind. Or there are people who are going to continue to say, that how is this guy still in office? And those are the divided lines. Off to the phones we go. Delia, what do you think of this? Um, yeah, hi, Mike. So um, I have been following uh, the American political system for quite some time, and I just wanted to pose that uh, Michael Cohen's story um, is just very, very far too elaborate um, to be completely, you know, uh, false. So we know Donald Trump's history um, that's just out there, and there's no disputing his history. He's a pathological liar. That's been proven over and over again. Michael Cohen came to the table, and yes, he lied, but he also uh, said, you know what, I lied. He faced it, and he's suffering the consequences. I just don't see that there's any reason for him to lie. And we all know that when you're telling a story, you can inject a lie into it, but you have to mainly stick with the truth. And his story about everything that Trump has done, it's just far too elaborate to be a falsehood. And that's just my opinion. No, that's that's a really interesting way to say it because, you know, the, the truth is stranger than fiction sort of thing comes into it. And it's absolutely right because you you have, like you say, you, you have to back up lies with more lies. What do you believe, because you've been following American politics closely for a long time, what do you believe comes out of this? Anything or is this just another one of those things that comes and then goes? Sadly, I think that it's just going to come and go. Um, I think that Trump, you know, when he was elected, I, I gave him 18 months. I believe that he would um, he would be impeached within 18 months. Unfortunately, I think the divide is so great um, that it's just not going to happen. I, I actually believe that he's going to run his term, and I fear that he may actually get reelected. Sadly, I do. With the way the Democrats are going right now, and with people throwing their hat in, um, I, I'm, I am actually truly fearful that he will win again in 2020. I don't think you're the only one. Delia, thanks for the call. 
No problem. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, the Democrats can't get out of their own way in the United States right now. They should be taking advantage of things. They're not taking advantage of anything, in my mind. 519-643-2222. Richard, great to hear from you. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you this afternoon? Excellent. I just want to say to Delia, I think that was a very great call you just made. The reasoning I'm willing to give Michael Cohen, right, the benefit of the doubt, and the reasoning I think he's telling the truth, Mike, I'll just give you one prime example. For the last couple of years, we've heard President Donald John Trump, right, talk about the crisis at the Texas-Mexico border there and how criminals and rapists and and, uh, drug dealers and gangs and that, how they're crossing the border into Texas and they're threatening national security of the United States and they're threatening the security and the um, peace of uh, Texas. Well, my question is, if that's true, Mike, right, let's just say for the benefit of the doubt, President Trump is telling the truth, then my question is, why hasn't two former Republican conservative presidents, and one of them, right, was... Um, governor of Texas, and they hail from a place called Crawford, Texas, which is not all that far from the Mexico-U.S. border and the Mexico-Texas border. How come, right, the two presidents, right, George W. Bush Jr. and George H.W. Bush Sr. when he was alive, how come not one of them, right, Mike, ever spoke, right, about the national security crisis at their border? Can you tell me that one, Mike? What a great question. Yeah, I I often wonder that. So you know something, right, no, I admit, right, that I'm not a fan of Donald J. Trump, and I never have been with or without Michael Cohen's testimony. But I've always been curious, right, why those two former presidents, right, considering they come from Texas, and I'm sure they care about the citizens of their state, and I've got no doubt in my mind on that. In fact, right, I was a strong Bush supporter. I would just like to know why they have never, ever spoken out if if the situation is as serious as that. So, Bob, if you're listening to me, please call in and explain to me why two former presidents have never spoken out about it if it's been a real national security issue. Thank you, Mike, for taking the time to listen to me, and have a good day. You have a great day, too. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question, and I, it's one that I don't have an answer to either. I mean, Richard is, is talking about some of the things that Bob has said in the past where there's video of people running through neighborhoods and things like that. There's video of a lot of stuff. I mean, there's video right now that make it look like every New York Islanders fan hates John Tavares. I can tell you right now that's not true. I think there's three people featured in the video, so I think the count of people who hate John Tavares in New York, right around three. Uh, I can't say it's any more than that. But things can be made to seem like they are bigger than they are. And, you know, is Michael Cohen trying to make things bigger than they are? I don't know. I don't know the truth to that. But it'll be interesting to see what does come of this because I'm like Delia. I think this comes and it goes because I firmly believe for anything to actually threaten Donald J. Trump's presidency, it would have to be something that the entire United States agreed on. And right now the lines are so divided and people are so passionate about the side that they are on, love them and hate them that you're not going to get that. So you're going to have these divided lines. You're not going to get anything done. And that's the problem. You need much more of a consensus to get things done. Either keep them or boot them. And it's getting too late to boot them anyway if that was going to be the plan. All right, one more call on this, 519-643-2222. If you want to get in, Marilyn, how are you? Who are you talking to? 
Is it Marilyn? Are you there? Well, yes. You said, "Who are you?" No, I said, "How are you?" Oh, well, I'll tell you something right now. If you want a truth, I want them, a truth. If you want, and the I can truth, handle the truth. If you want the truth, ask an old lady or an old person or a little child, and you'll always get the truth. But anyways, as far as these two men are concerned, I don't know whether to believe them or not. I really don't. I think it's one heck of a mess. And ultimately, according to, as I mentioned, Russia rising and the theory there, that's exactly what other parts of the world want. Marilyn, I will always ask a child, I will always ask an older woman. Well, I won't say ask, the other words. You can always ask me for the truth. And I, and I do get the truth, and I do appreciate that. I don't know where we kind of lose it along the way, but uh, we definitely do. Marilyn, you have a great day. You too, dear. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll take a break on London Live. Still lots more to come. Speaking of speaking the truth and asking a child who will always be truthful. We have, we have tracked down Mason's dad who made a video that now has at last count 5.3 million views because it gets away from the Donald Trump, Michael Cohen scandal. And, and it kind of just shows off the innocence of what it's all really about. We're going to be talking about that in less than 20 minutes from now. And we are also going to be talking about some serious topics. I encourage you, please be listening in our second hour of the show because Barbara Goss is the CEO of the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking. And some of the stuff that she says will probably make you use the word, really? Really? But she's close to it. And human trafficking is something that that is being addressed, but we need more. And that's where a hotline comes in. And there has been a fight to get a national hotline, which you think would be so simple. Wouldn't the phone company be clamoring for people to actually want to use something like a hotline? Hey, here are more ways to use the phone. But it's been a fight. However, that fight has finally come to fruition, and we're going to be talking about just the kinds of people involved in human trafficking and the kinds of things that they tend to go through. That's in the second hour of our show. Again, I encourage you not to miss it. Let's take a quick break. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Email from Dave at Mike at 980CFPL.ca says, You say you aren't able to tell me how much of Michael Cohen's statement is a lie. Can you tell me why the London Knights lost last night? <laughs> you know what? I could take a better stab at that than, than Michael Cohen for sure. Uh, we did present some of the statements that Michael Cohen has given so far in his testimony before the House Oversight Committee. If you want to see more of that, you can actually go to our website at 980cfpl.ca or you can go to globalnews.ca and there is all kinds of video footage. You can see Michael Cohen himself. I can't paint his picture on the air. But Dave, yeah, I can take a stab at last night. Here's the thing that we said going into the game. When the playoffs arrive in the OHL and the second round gets here, I think it's going to be tough for there to be any upsets in the first round. Maybe Sarnia. Sarnia would be a team I wouldn't want to face. But overall, it'll come down to four teams. And with that, you take a four-sided die. Is that even a thing? Do we have four-sided dies? I know we probably don't have two-sided dies. That's just flipping a coin. But you need a four-sided die, and you, you roll that. 
and whatever one comes up, that's who's going to win. That's how close things are. So a couple of weeks ago, the London Knights played the Guelph Storm and beat them 6-1. London Knights played Guelph last night, lost 7-3. And it is going to be that kind of a roll of dice. The Knights afterward had said, you know what, we got away from doing the things that we were doing well. Guelph scored a goal late in the first period. And that seemed to rattle the Knights. And then Guelph scored early, and then they scored again. It was kind of a fluky one in there. Then a turnover that landed in the net. So that had them changing what they did in the game. And then a defensive breakdown after the Knights had made it 5-3 and were really pressuring Guelph. A defensive breakdown left a guy named Nick Suzuki alone in front of the net. Not a good thing to do in the OHL. He scored, and uh, that pretty much salted it away. So, Dave... What can I tell you? It's going to be a fun playoff. That's what you can look forward to. And if we have anything more fun coming out of the Michael Cohen testimony, we'll make sure and bring that to you. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. There's a great article in the New York Times. I guess it's in the New York Times magazine. Uh, But I'll tweet out the link And essentially, it does a story on a group that goes around debunking things. And they apparently have gone through Wikipedia and fixed up a lot of stuff. And I I mean, is that is that a good thing that you're going in there? Do we believe you? Here we go. Who do we believe again? But they actually take on kind of these little causes and their latest cause is exposing celebrity psychics. That's fantastic. Everybody loves psychics. Loves psychics. Because we all want to know. You know, I still think back to a buddy whose mom and dad went to a psychic. And something came out of that that he was going to be a millionaire. And he kept kind of waiting for the million dollars to arrive. And I think he's still waiting. You know, and it might have changed the way he approached certain things. I, I really wonder about that. So I, as much as maybe you've been to a psychic and you say, oh, you wouldn't believe the things that they know, I still can't help but be a little skeptical. Oh, but they knew this. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to know or a lot of ways to get you to talk. Now, I've never been to a psychic, so I don't know. But... This group is now going around trying to debunk, especially the celebrity psychics, and expose them, saying, no, fraud, fraud. And one of the things it says is that when a celebrity psychic becomes famous, they tend to get lazy after a while, and that makes them vulnerable. So who do we believe? Do we believe psychics? Do we believe this group? Do we believe Michael Cohen? Do we believe Donald Trump? Do we believe Jody Wilson-Raybould? Do we believe the Prime Minister? (sighs) Difficult day, isn't it? Difficult day. You know what we need to do? We need to just for a second boil away all of the do you believe, all of the uncertainty, and we need to get to something pure. So let's do that. I'm going to play one more time because we were hoping to talk with Jeremy Rupke yesterday, and unfortunately we weren't able to, but we were going to make it happen today. And Jeremy Rupke is the dad of Mason, who's four years old and was out skating around on a rink, and we'll get the whole story from Jeremy in a minute. But Jeremy decided to put a microphone on Mason just to see what it was he was talking about when he was on the ice 
at hockey practice. Those Zambonis coming on? Is that Mason? Is the Zamboni coming on? Yeah, the Zamboni gonna come on. Why? Am I good scorer? Oh yeah, I am. Okay, you garbage, garbage. One, two, 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 one, two. Let me go, you old pack can. Ow! Are we gonna go to McDonald's after? Everybody loves Badonalds. Let go of me, you old fat can. Uh, we're going to find out more about this video that now is approaching, and I haven't checked it in a little while. It might even be over this. Approaching five and a half million views. It hasn't been up very long, but it's something that takes you back to what it's all about. Jeremy Rupke joins us next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. It is nice when we get to be reminded that sometimes things are just what they are. On the show today, it's been anything but. It's wondering who's telling the truth. It's wondering what we should do to the people who aren't telling the truth. That's not a lot of fun. That's not a lot of fun. Marilyn said it perfectly just about 15 minutes ago. You want the truth about something? You ask a young child or you ask an older woman. Notice she didn't say older man, and I'm right with her. Nope, we don't qualify. We, uh, we lost it somewhere along the way. But those are the two people or the two types of people left that you can actually call on to believe because things are still pure and simple. So we get an opportunity to focus in on that right now. Jeremy Rupke decided to put a microphone on his four-year-old son, Mason, while he went out and played hockey at a hockey practice full of Timbits decked out as members of the Toronto Maple Leafs. If you have not seen the video, you can find it on my Twitter feed right now at Stubbs980. But it has been viewed not tens of times, hundreds of times, or thousands of times. It's been viewed millions of times. And it's made a big impression on a lot of people. Jeremy Rupke joins us right now. Jeremy, how are you? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thanks for being here. Let's uh, let's go right back to the beginning on this. Where were you when you decided, you know what I should do? I should get a microphone and put it on that guy right there. Uh, well, my wife and I were uh, watching him at practice, and we knew, you know, being a two-year-old and a three-year-old and uh, just turning four, he says a lot of goofy stuff around the house. He's out there at practice. He's looking over to his friends. He's saying stuff. Looks like he's laughing. He's skating up to the coaches. He's saying stuff. Just kind of got curious. What kind of crazy stuff is he saying out there? So uh, I, I've been making YouTube videos for over uh, 10 years about hockey. Uh, I have the camera. I had the microphone. I figured I could just uh, throw that on him. He wouldn't even notice. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll find out what he's saying out there. Now, is this the first time you've ever mic'd up one of your children? Yeah, that's the first time that I had that idea. Um, I think he was just at the right age where, you know, it, it could be entertaining. Now, is Mason the kind of guy that when you're hanging around him, you're just entertained all the time? Is he that 24-hour-a-day, what we see on the video? That's pretty much it. It's either pure joy or uh, pure, pure terror, depending what type of mood he's in. <laughs> well, Badonald seems to solve a lot of that, so that's good to know. Yes. 
Bribery works very well. (laughs) When you brought this home, because the video runs a little over six minutes, it's been viewed over five million times. I I haven't checked it today. Have you? Are you up to six million yet? Uh, no, I'm at, uh, I think I'm at five and a half. Um, but yeah, it, it's doing really well on YouTube. I put the, the 32nd one, I threw it up on Twitter. Uh, from what I heard, you reposted it. Uh, appreciate that. And yeah, the, the full YouTube video is over six minutes long. It's on my YouTube channel and, uh, yeah, people are loving it. Yeah. It's amazing. Now, when you brought home that footage, you would have had way more than six minutes. Cause there's, there's a little bit off the ice where he's practicing his shot with garbage, garbage, garbage. And <laughs> You know, there, there's the the getting off the ice as well. But when you brought it home, did you know immediately what to do? Did it flow together right away? Oh yeah, it was one of the easiest edits I've ever done. Uh, usually, I'm setting up multiple cameras and syncing audio, getting like slow motion shots, different camera angles. This one, I turned the microphone on, I turned the camera on, and I just let it run. So afterwards, I just uh, you know synced up the audio, the video together. Looks for every time you talked. Uh, trimmed out all the rest and then just put it together added a little music and uh, that was it it was the fastest edit I've ever done and I think it's it's getting close to the uh, largest or the most amount of views I've ever gotten on a video so that's wild. We're talking with Jeremy Rupke and we're talking about the video he made of his son Mason again you can go to my Twitter feed right now if you haven't seen it at Stubbs 980 and you can have a look at that now in terms of a microphone we all become people who can go out and get this fancy equipment it's a lot cheaper than it used to be it's a lot more accessible but still you've purchased something like a microphone that is pretty expensive and you know it doesn't come with strings attached and you're going to put it on a four-year-old where do you put that not to keep the four-year-old safe but to keep the microphone safe <laughs> yeah i think i think uh, the unit ran me uh, about 150 bucks and i got it for that very purpose because i'm always shooting uh, hockey videos, and I was miking up instructors and myself as well on the ice. So I wanted something that was uh, compact and I could easily kind of like tuck it somewhere. So I just had um, this little band that wrapped around him. I tucked it in there and I, I put the wire up inside and he, he was all good. <laughs> Is this something you think that could be repeated? Uh, I'm going to try tonight. I, he's got practice uh, tonight, and uh, everybody's been asking for a second video, so I'm going to go out there and uh, see what I get. Uh, if I can't get a full six minutes for for my YouTube, I'll uh, certainly probably get a few sound bites I could just top up top, or toss up on social media to uh, satisfy everybody's appetite. But it's uh, I think one of his last practices of the year, so. With the way the world works, and we're talking with Jeremy Rupke, who now has over 5 million views, around 5.5 million views of a video that you just have to see. If you're having a bad day, watch this. It's one of those. (laughs) And it goes back to what everything is all about, the purity of something. It's Mason skating around on the hockey rink, 1-2-1-2 as he tries to remember to use two feet. You have this go all over the place. I mean, this can be seen by anybody on this planet right now. What is the furthest away that someone has contacted you or the strangest call that you've received to say, hey, can we talk about this? Uh, I'd say, because I I have a decent following on Instagram, it's at HowToHockey. I got a bunch of messages there. Uh, my DMs about, oh, it's in New Zealand. I watched it in Ireland. Hey, I just saw Mason on the news in the morning in Australia. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely made its uh, its rounds. It was on the number one news uh, website in Sweden for a couple of days. I got some messages from Swedes there. Um, the, the funniest message is just on my uh, personal Facebook. Uh, someone was just rhyming off like we were best friends. And then uh, she said, oh, I just saw your... Um, 
your video on the news and I looked you up because that's what old ladies do. So she basically <laughs> just felt really connected to the video. I guess she loved Mason. She felt like he, uh, he's just like her grandson. So she just uh, <laughs> uh, private messaged me on Facebook and wrote me a nice uh, little message. So I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. How's Mason doing with the celebrities? You okay with this? Yeah, he has no idea. Um, outside of his toy room, uh, you know, the backyard, his mom and dad and his little sister and his uh, pets, you know, he doesn't know the internet or how many views and all that stuff. But he's happy because we did a uh, little interview on the news today and uh, they sent him home with a couple of gift cards to McDonald's. So he was, he was pumped about that. <laughs> Pretty soon, as this continues to grow, I think the McDonald's might be looking to change their name just to fit in <laughs> with all of that. OK, if, if you are going to put together something and post it on Instagram, what is your Instagram again so that people can watch the sequel? Yep, so, so it's at HowToHockey. Perfect. Jeremy? Yeah, that's on Twitter, Twitter as well. And okay. uh, Coach Jeremy is the YouTube channel if you want to check All out right. the full six-minute long video. Well, I'll repost the video, and I'll make sure and, and tag that so that people can find your Twitter feed as well. So Appreciate it, Mike. Jeremy, thanks so much for this. Congratulations on the success this has had. And thanks for doing it, because it's great to see a video like this where it's not parents yelling at each other or guys fighting. No. Or it's This is about what it's all about. Exactly. And in all the videos I make, I'm trying to just spread the love of hockey. Uh, you know, I, I love the game. It did so much for me when I was growing up. It, it was very meaningful for me. So I'm just trying to help people either learn to play or, um, or just, you know, share some of these more fun moments that people can enjoy. Please keep doing that. All right. Definitely will. All right. Take care of yourself. Thank you very much. That's Jeremy Rupke. Mason's dad. That's great. <laughs> Gift cards to McDonald's. That's wait until he realizes just how famous he was at the age of four. Maybe he'll still be famous. Maybe maybe he'll be draft pick or a draft pick of the Anaheim Ducks someday. Uh, let's take a break. Next up, you realize that, that we're going to be doing some celebrating. The Junos are coming to town and they're extending some bar hours. That's one of the things we'll talk to as we try and track down Chris Campbell, chair of the 2019 Juno Week Committee on London Live and Global News Radio 980 CFPL. If you can see a window, you need to look out it right now. It's not good. That's okay. Because in 18 and a half days, the Junos are going to be here. And in less than 18 and a half days, Juno Week will be underway. So let's take a break from this. It's like dreaming about baseball. If you think about baseball, why do we spend so much time documenting when pitchers and catchers are going to report? Because it gives us hope. Why do we have Groundhog Day? Gives us hope. Makes you think about something other than the winter. Well, Chris Campbell's going to help us do that right now. They are extending some bar hours at certain bars and restaurants during Juno Week. That's one of the things we'll talk about, but who knows what else we'll run into. Chris is the chair of the 2019 Juno Week Committee, and he joins us now. Mr. Campbell, how are you doing? Excellent. How are you doing, Mike? Not too bad. Are those the sounds of downtown Toronto we can hear in behind you? Yep, talking on my speakerphone here. <laughs> that must mean more things are happening. We've had some amazing Juno announcements already. We now know who the host is. We know who some of the performers are. But it's getting to be March. Uh, what can we expect in March when it comes to the Junos? There's a flurry of more announcements to come. You've got you know, more performer announcements, presenter uh, announcements, uh, showcase announcements. There's so many things to, uh, to come to this. We just had the fanfare uh, announcement and there's 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 
Lots more to come. Stay tuned. And let's face it, the Junos are now, and I, I don't want to concern you at all because I know how hard you've been working and I know how much there is still to do, but uh, we're kind of down to about 18 and a half days. Yeah, we are uh, We're organizing you know, the final stages and, and uh, full-blown execution right now, and everything's, everything is going according to plan. I just actually left a meeting um, at the, uh, the CARES head office, and yeah, everyone's busy and working, and everyone's calm, and uh, you know, stress levels are low, and but everyone's very excited. If we are to kind of talk about some of the big events we've had, could this be the biggest event London has ever seen? Um, you know, it's very difficult for me. To, it depends on what you mean by big in terms of complexity. Um, given the number of venues, the number of moving parts, uh, absolutely. When you have uh, over 100 artists just with JunoFest and, uh, you know, uh, 15 or so venues just for that, there's about 67 events that are going to be taking place over a very short number of days. Um, the national, in terms of national, national media exposure, it's the largest. International media exposure, of course, um, you know, would, would definitely be the world's biggest skating championship. But nationally, national media exposure, this tops everything. Wow. Uh, period. Um, you know, because it's literally on every, every form, you know, you think of all the radio stations and, and, and television broadcasts and online streams and, you know, you've got 7 billion media impressions, uh, just around, um, a few days all in London, Ontario. There's a, you know, there's lots, lots to come. So it's incredible. All right. Well, we'll look forward to some of those announcements. We're talking with Chris Campbell, chair of the 2019 Juno Week Host Committee. But Chris, before we let you go, we've got to get the lowdown on the Alcohol and Gaming Commission because they have allowed for a little something. What is that? Well, this is something that is not unique to uh, 2019 Juno Week. It actually happens every other city. Um, You know, a lot of the events, as they travel across Canada, uh, Juno Fest, there's, there's private industry parties. There are, um, uh, so there's, there's a lot of industry only receptions, and some of them are very small, of course. Um, and, and then there's the, uh, some of the public facing events like Juno Fest. They require, uh, liquor license extensions, and this has happened in Vancouver, and Ottawa, and Calgary, you know, and, and all over the place. And so, uh, this is, you know, to come to London, and, and we are helping facilitate to make sure uh, all that can happen. So that means some bars or restaurants will be able to extend their hours beyond 2 a.m.? Well, they, they, they would have already had approval, and that's part of uh, the, the event being a nationally significant event and officially associated and supported by the host committee. And so events that are specifically tied to Juno Week or associated to um, the week um, but these are, keep in mind, these are things that travel around from year to year. Um, then um, it's supported. Turn right onto Highway 5. It's, sorry, it's supported by the, uh, by, by the festivities. Okay. And does that go into effect for the whole week, or that's kind of select days out of the week at select places? They are, they are uh, specified uh, days, um, and not all that is public information at this time, but um, there are specified days and, and specified venues and uh, that type of thing. And, and a lot of them, um, it's more uh, to have the option to be able to do that. They may not exercise that option, um, but it gives them the flexibility because given the number of bands and the way schedules can sometimes run delayed, and 
you need to showcase all these bands that can go very late. And so it gives people the, uh, it gives us the tool uh, to be able to keep things going. All right. Well, Chris, we really appreciate you fitting us in. Good luck on Highway 5. I hope that the highway is very clear for you. And uh, we'll see you back in London pretty soon. Hey, thank you. Take care. Take care. That is Chris Campbell, chair of the 2019 Juno Week Committee. How's Highway 5? You know what Wellington Street is right now? Not great. So we'll have details on what to expect coming up with Jacqueline LaBelle as we hurtle toward a drive home. After news, we're going to be talking with Barbara Goss, CEO of the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking. Please, you need to listen to this interview. You need to hang around because this is a problem unlike one that that we've seen in a while. And uh, it's one that, that doesn't really have an easy solution, but it's one that everybody can kind of play a role in. And it's a pretty big role. It's a pretty easy role to play, too. So that's coming up. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So it appears Jody Wilson-Raybould will now speak at 4 o'clock today. We'll have that. And coverage of what she says on 980 CFPL as we go along with our afternoon news. Be able to pull out anything important that you need to know. We're also continuing to monitor Michael Cohen testifying before the House Oversight Committee. You just have people asking him questions right now. And if they are Democrats, they seem nice. And if they are Republican, they seem as though they are not as nice to him. And I don't mean nice. I just mean being nice to him. Or not nice to him. So that's coming out. One of the other headlines that continues to hang around is this $1,250 a plate PC party fundraiser in Toronto that's creating some kind of stink over, you know, Premier Doug Ford having or defending the event. I don't understand what this is. Do you want me to take a second and look some things up here? Oh, look, uh, we've got Prime Minister Justin Trudeau with events that cost a certain number of dollars a plate that wind up being liberal fundraisers. Oh, look, uh, we can go to other countries and find the same thing. Uh, Here's one for Theresa May. Uh, Come on. These things happen all the time. Why is this being turned into a stink? If you have a dignitary of some sort and they are looking to raise money, they can have a dinner. You don't have to go. Why is this a big deal? What am I missing here? Trying to figure that out a little later on this hour. Also, this hour, RRSPs. The deadline is coming. It'll be March 1st. I'm not a big RRSP guy, but the person we're going to be speaking with has mentioned that if you're not investing in RRSPs, you are, quote, leaving money on the table. Hmm. And she didn't mean a tip, I take it, right? I don't mind leaving the tip. Leaving money on the table? Yeah, I probably shouldn't do that as much as I do. So we'll talk with a senior tax expert about the RRSP deadline. And she's from H&R Block, and they've just done a survey that kind of outlines how Canadians deal with RRSPs. So if you're not contributing, are you one of the only people? Or is this kind of a wider spread thing? And we're also going to find out about an event taking place tomorrow at City Hall. It'll start about noon, and it's going to involve a lot of young people who would like to see some climate change action. And so we'll find out what it is that they're talking about and what it is they are hoping to achieve with all of this. 
First up, we are going to be talking with Barbara Goss, and that is happening in just a couple of minutes. And I've been encouraging you throughout the show to listen to what Barbara has to say, because she is the CEO of the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking. And it seems over the last couple of weeks, we get more and more stories about human trafficking. But really, it goes on beyond that. That's just kind of how our brains all pick up on certain things. But yes, we have seen and we have heard more stories about human trafficking and London's role, the proximity of London to the 401 and how that makes this a spot where human trafficking occurs. Coming up next on London Live, Barbara Goss, the CEO of the Centre to End Human Trafficking in Canada. We'll talk about a hotline that is coming into being, why it's taken so long for this thing to come into being, and everything else that goes into this, including how do people even get involved? How do people become trafficked. It's different than you might think, and it happens much more quickly than you might think. Barbara has seen it happen. She's talked with people who are both in and have been in human trafficking rings. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. When you think not in my backyard, there are a couple of ways to interpret the old NIMBY. Things you don't want in your backyard. We've got people who live downtown who do not want loud music at night in their backyard. We have people who don't want rendering plants near their backyard. Can't really blame you on that one. The loud music downtown, you live downtown. That's where the story stops. You want to move out into a rural setting? That's where the loud music isn't. It could be downtown. A lot of loud noises. You don't like sirens? Don't live downtown. Live out in a nice rural setting. But that's a different topic. The other way of interpreting not in my backyard is to say, that doesn't happen here. This is London, Ontario. This is southwestern Ontario. This is a nice place to be. That stuff doesn't go on here. Drugs? No. Weapons? Uh Uh-uh. No way. Human trafficking? Are you kidding me? In southwestern Ontario? Well, that may have been our attitude a while ago. I don't think it can be our attitude right now, because there's been too much to prove that attitude completely wrong. Joining us right now is someone who can help us to understand a little bit more about human trafficking. Because there is going to be an established hotline to help report information about human trafficking. And that's been needed for a while. And the fight's been on. And Barbara Goss, who is the CEO of the Canadian Centre for to End Human Trafficking, is somebody that has been heavily involved in trying to get a hotline established. And has now actually been able to see that things are going to happen. But Barbara, as Barbara joins us right now, Barbara, we thank you for joining us right now. If I'm to understand it right, it's being established, but it hasn't been kind of initiated yet. So we've been working to build the hotline since, um, actually, for about the last two years. We've been we've had a technical assistance contract with um, the organization in the U.S. called Polaris, who have been 
working on this with the U.S. hotline for over 11 years now and collecting a lot of data. They also assisted Mexico with their national human trafficking hotline and also the U.K. So they are the... um, they are the uh, uh, providers that provide the, the information. They've actually allowed us to kickstart where we are today because we've benefited from knowing what, you know, what issues and problems they've come up against over the last 11 years. Do you feel Canada has been sitting and watching what other countries have been doing? Because I know the United States has taken steps as well. And has that been a good thing to do or, or has that had you sitting a little uneasy in your seat? <laughs> Well, it's it's always interesting and always beneficial to look at experiences of other geographic areas, particularly when it's something that um, deals with policy and, and social and economic issues. But you can wait too long, and we have been behind in this issue for some time. Um, the hotline has been long thought of as as a very important tool for combating human trafficking, not just, you know, and and perhaps first and foremost to provide a localized victim service response to any victim or survivor of human trafficking right across the country. That's absolutely paramount. But also to be able to provide them with services and supports that they need and also to be able to collect data on the types of human trafficking that are happening in Canada, where human trafficking is actually happening, and where we have gaps in services that need to be filled, where we can better allocate resources so that we can not only assist victims and survivors, but also look at the networks that are being created by human traffickers and look at how we can dismantle those. We're talking with Barbara Goss, CEO of the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking. Barb, you mentioned one of the things that I think has really caught a lot of attention, especially in this area, and that is where human trafficking is taking place. Because if we go back 15 years ago, I bet you could walk the streets of London, Ontario, and say, do you think that human trafficking is a big issue here in London? And people would just shake their heads and say, absolutely not. And then you start to get more and more news stories. And recently, we start to find out just how much, because of our proximity to the 401, just how much human trafficking is taking place here. How much has the battle against human trafficking been a battle against the stigma that has existed that, no, nah, no, nah, not in my backyard? It, you're absolutely right. And I can tell you that we consistently come up against people and educated people who say to us, well, this is an international problem. And we are confirming um, consistently that this is happening in all of our communities right across the country. This is a clandestine crime. It is hidden from public view. Also, victims and survivors feel like they don't have support. They are told all the time that they should not be going to police. They are controlled by traffickers, so they don't reach out. And it's very, very difficult for police or frontline service providers to be in contact with anyone who needs services like their services um, because it's such a hidden crime. But it is something that we can talk about. It is something now that we can educate our young and our most vulnerable about. Um, we can understand and learn the signs of human trafficking and, and talk about this around our kitchen tables so that, you know, the best defense against human trafficking is an educated public. And we can do so much more in that area, all of us. What do we need to know? We need to know that human trafficking affects 
are most vulnerable. That warning signs that somebody may be a victim of human trafficking include being controlled by others, driven to and from locations, and escorted at all times, being watched by others, having someone speak for them in public, not having a passport or not having their ID because those have been confiscated by a trafficker. Um, someone who's not familiar with the neighborhood, which within which they live or within which they work, um, you know if, if you know if there are businesses that are open 24/7, but their windows are blocked, that something's wrong with that. People tend to know that there is something unusual if they are noticing that there are lots of people coming out from one location who are dressed shabbily, who may act in fearful or anxious ways. Um, they may avoid eye contact or may have another person, like I mentioned, speak for them as well. Um, all of those signs, people should be suspicious. And if you have any suspicion, you should report it immediately to law enforcement. And hopefully in late spring, you'll be, you'll be able to report it directly to the Canadian Human Trafficking Hotline. Um, and that is where we'll be investigating those tips from the public or those calls that come in directly from victims or survivors of human trafficking. What you describe, people may see, and, and you, you may just not want to get involved. You may not want to place that call to police, but how do you feel a hotline helps in a situation like that? Is it easier to use? We feel it will be because it will be confidential. Um, and we'll be able to address um, issues such as sex trafficking, which is forced prostitution, or labor trafficking, which is forced labor issues. We will only provide information to people who call in who request it. So if if someone calls in and they do not wish to have their incident reported to law enforcement, we will not report it. If they wish to have housing help or um, counseling help or they need transportation to safety, um, then we will not report it to police, we will provide them with the referral to the service provider that they need. We so all of that is confidential. And it, it's while it's funded by government, it's an independent um, Canadian hotline, completely independent of government and completely independent of law enforcement. We will have good relationships with all those service providers, but we will be operating the hotline independent of those. Barbara Goss is our guest on London Live, CEO of the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking. Barb, maybe before we let you go, how does someone become involved, become trafficked? How is this happening? You know, it, we, we had long thought that this was only happening to extremely vulnerable individuals. Um, we now know, and from, from low-income families, we now know that this uh, crime does not discriminate against middle and upper-income families. We know that there have been kids who've been lured and groomed from private schools. Um, we know that there is peer-to-peer trafficking within high schools as well. Um, the vulnerabilities that each and every one of us has felt at some point in our lives make us vulnerable to evil people. And human traffickers um, will look for those vulnerabilities. They will troll online. And when you think of uh, mobile technology, when you think of the social media that our young people are on from day to day, many of them have no idea who they're talking to. So if they have a problem with a parent, if they have some um, feeling that they're not adequate or that they don't feel beautiful. 
There are traffickers and predators around who will take advantage of that. They know the scripts. They know how to locate such people, and they'll exploit those vulnerabilities. At first, they'll make it seem like they are their friends, and shortly thereafter, they're boyfriends, um, and they'll shower them with gifts. And those are considered boyfriend pimps. Um, shortly thereafter, and the police have told us it takes between 24 hours and two weeks to convert someone into forced prostitution from that situation of vulnerability. So it's, it's, it, it can affect all of us. And we should be concerned with this, and we should do more about educating our young people about the occurrences of this in all our communities. Man, and people would hear that and say, no, 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 no. I, I know my child. 24 hours. No, no, no. Two weeks. No, they, they would not do yeah. that. You've seen it. We have seen it. We hear from law enforcement on the ground who are working in this industry constantly. We hear from frontline survivors and, and for frontline service providers constantly now about the, the young people that are lured and groomed by traffickers. I can tell you that two major police um, agencies have had 12-year-old victims, as young as 12. Um, so it, it is a frightening, horrific, horrific crime, and we all need to be very aware that this is happening in our communities. And very soon we may have a national hotline, or we should have a national hotline to report this to. But as you say, if you, if you sense something suspicious, please call law enforcement now, right? That's right. And as soon as we have the, um, the services and supports to support the Canadian Human Trafficking Hotline, we'll be advertising the phone number and we welcome calls and tips from members of the public right across the country. And in the meantime, you can visit centertoendhumantrafficking.ca for all kinds of information. Barbara, thank you for your time today. Thanks. Bye. Barbara Goss, CEO of the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking. So it isn't just someone who's run away from home. It isn't just someone who happens to be very vulnerable. It isn't just someone who happens to be addicted to drugs. It's so easy to say, yeah, well, you know, not in my backyard. This is southwestern Ontario. But it can be a lot of things. You know what one of the hardest questions to ask a teenager is? Who's that? That's a really hard question to ask a teenager. Not because it's, you know, hard to ask. It's two words. Who's that? You have to do that properly. Because you're going to be referring to one of their friends, someone they're hanging out with, somebody they're talking to. And when you say, who's that? Immediately they get their back up. What do you mean? It's my friend. And that is one of the divides that you have with a child or a grandchild in something like this. If they're being influenced by someone who might be involved in human trafficking, and you say, who's that? It doesn't take much for them to get their back up and say, I know what I'm doing. Because teenagers believe they know what they're doing. When you're 16, you think you can get served at the beer store. You are sadly mistaken. No 16-year-old, except for the one person who can grow a beard at 14, can get served at the beer store. Now, there's a whole lot more IDing that goes along. But in order to say, who's that? There's got to be a better way to broach the subject. Be careful of that question. Don't bring it up like that. Hey, what are you guys doing? 
Oh yeah, I, I don't know that person. Who 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 are you hanging out with? And get them to tell you that way. If you do it accusatory, that's not the right way to do it. And it's it's something that does come up. Usually, it doesn't have strings attached. Usually, it's just somebody you don't know. Sometimes, though, sometimes that's different. Today is anti-bullying day. And I don't know if you know the story about anti-bullying, but this actually started in Canada, anti-bullying day. And it goes back to 2007. And it goes back to a couple of guys who stood up. And it was great to see. Happened in Nova Scotia. Their names, David Shepard and Travis Price. We should not know the names of sports stars. We should know the names of David Shepard and Travis Price. They're from Berwick, Nova Scotia. And there was a guy who was in grade nine. So think of this. He's starting grade nine. And he happened to be wearing a pink shirt. And he came to school. And this guy got roasted for wearing this pink shirt. These two witnessed it. And what they did was they bought 50 pink shirts and they distributed them. And that's why a lot of people are wearing pink shirts today because Nova Scotia Premier Rodney McDonald at the time proclaimed the second Thursday of September stand up against anti-bullying day. And then things have kind of turned to the point that anti-bullying day is now celebrated on February 27th as well. And that is today. So it's National Anti-Bullying Day. Um, So please, if you see somebody wearing a pink shirt, thank them for doing it. I was pretty skeptical about a lot of the bullying stuff that the schools were bringing in, the the upstander program. I didn't think that was going to do anything. Looking back now, I think it's done a lot. So good job on that as well. Let's take a break. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Johnny Manziel's CFL career is over. Over. The Montreal Alouettes have released him, but this is not an, well, you know, he does throw a lot of interceptions. He's not really working out how we thought he would, so we're going to go in a different direction. That's not what this is. When Johnny Manziel signed with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, the league had a whole bunch of conditions and As far as I know, they've remained confidential. The league said they would be confidential. Uh, The league also said they were extensive and exacting. That's When you are a lawyer and you draft a document that says this is extensive and exacting, you've done a good job. That's just a good day. You go home and you feel good. Extensive and exacting. So whatever those were, he violated at least one. And with that, the league now says... Bye. Happy trails. Thanks for all your interceptions. Pick sixes for everyone. So Johnny Menza, I don't know what it was. I don't. I have no idea what it was that he did. And we may never. I mean, if somebody leaks it out, sure. But chances are we won't know. And Johnny Manziel will now ride off into the sunset to what? The American Alliance of Football? They'll be quick to snap him up. Who's in last place in the American Alliance of Football? I should know this off the top of my head, shouldn't I? I should be able to just say, oh, yeah, last place? Yeah, no, I got that. I know who that is. But I'm pretty sure that I can find it out if you give me a second. Okay, here it is. Uh, Thanks, Internet. Isn't the Internet amazing? 
two teams are last. The Memphis Express and the Atlanta Legends. Welcome to Memphis, Johnny Manziel. How do you like Atlanta, Johnny Manziel? I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's about his last stop. And unfortunately, you know, it's, it's talent wasted. I thought he'd do really well in the CFL. I thought he'd do better than he did. He didn't do very well. But maybe if he'd come back and maybe if he'd adjusted to the game, because it's a different game. It's a hard game. It's a hard game to be a quarterback. But I thought he'd do well because he can move, seems to be smart, not off the field always, but on the field. Didn't happen. Now he's violated a condition, and the CFL has told all of its member clubs, no, 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 nobody is going to put this guy on a negotiation list. Nope. Done. Bye. And so Johnny Manziel, no longer a part of the CFL. Let's talk taxes, shall we? It is tax time. The T4 slips are either in the mail or in your inbox or maybe a mix of both. And with that, the RRSP deadline is about to arrive. And we are joined now by Lisa Gittens, who is a senior tax expert with H&R Block to help us out with this. Lisa, how are you today? I'm doing great today. It is tax season and RRSP deadline, March 1st, quickly approaching. Yeah, March 1st. I was actually going to ask you the question. This probably doesn't bode well for my RRSPs, but uh, (laughs) I didn't know exactly when it was. So March 1st, what does that deadline mean? So what that deadline means, you have up until that day to make a contribution to your RRSP and have the tax deduction applied to your 2018 tax return. Okay, so this sounds like it would be beneficial. How is that helping us if we compare it to waiting until after March 1st? Well, anything that you contribute after March 1st of 2019 can only be applied to your 2019 tax return. So here's where we want to admonish Canadians to get your tax planning done early. What is the likelihood, Lisa, that people are going to do that? How diligent are Canadians when it comes to RRSPs? Now, here are the statistics. One in four Canadians will contribute to the RRSP by that March 1st deadline. We've got 54% of Canadians saying they don't contribute to a RRSP or TFSA at all. They're leaving money on the table. When we look at the fact that 30% of Canadians with an income less than 50% will contribute to a TFSA or RRSP, but 69% of Canadians with an income over 100000 will contribute to their TFSA or RRSP. So for those who know they're planning to contribute, get it done before March 1st. If you're not sure, this is the time, this is your week to go into an office, talk to a tax expert, find out your situation, and know how much you should contribute so that you can get a savings. Lisa Gettens with us, senior tax expert with H&R Block, as we look at the pending RRSP deadline for 2018. Lisa, you said some very interesting words, leaving money on the table. Nobody likes to do that. If there's money on the table and it's ours, it's good to scoop that up. It's, it, that's very useful stuff. What do you mean by leaving money on the table? How are we doing that? Well, 
we find that we did a recent survey, and one of the reasons that Canadians are not taking advantage of the RRSP or TFSA, they say they don't have enough money to save. But when you put money into an RRSP, it's your money. You're reducing the tax. You're not paying tax on that money. It's sitting in an account earning you interest that's going to be available for you at retirement time. So you're leaving money on the table by not saving, not earning interest, and not planning for your retirement. We're talking with Lisa Gittins, senior tax expert with H&R Block. Anything else jump at you from the survey that you did in terms of what Canadians' behaviors are like when it comes to either saving money or investing money? Well, it's really interesting that we've got 49% men plan to contribute to a TFSA or RRSP, slightly fewer than women, who are only 44% likely. And Saskatchewan, 65% of us Canadians in Saskatchewan are more likely to contribute to an RRSP. Atlantic provinces, less likely, 32%. So across the Canada, across the country, we've got some warming up to RRSPs to do. Lisa, the other statistic that you talked about was people over with incomes over 100000 They seem likely. Could that just be added disposable income? Well, it's also that they are the ones more likely to save. Let's give you some numbers here. If I'm earning 25000 a year, I'm in a 15% tax bracket. For every $100 that I put into an RRSP, I'm going to save about $20. If I'm in that 100,000 tax bracket, I'm 26% is my federal tax bracket. For every $100 I put into an RRSP, I'm going to save $43. So the higher your income, the more you save with an RRSP. But don't forget that TFSAs are your friend. You don't get a tax savings because the amount that you put in is not tax-deductible, but when you withdraw from the TFSA, it's not taxable income. Okay, before we close out, let's, let's take a second on tax-free savings accounts, TFSAs. When you put money into it, can it act like a bank account where you put money in and then you can take it out and everything's fine, or does it act a little differently? It acts exactly like that. Now, the key with the TFSA is the interest rate is higher than your normal savings account. And so what we see is for those younger persons, especially if you're a student starting out, you know you're on a limited income, you're not sure if you're going to be able to save. This is where a TFSA is your best friend. Here's where you practice your savings. Because if you put the money in, and you have an emergency, you can withdraw it without any tax consequences. Do you have to put the money back it's in eventually? That you don't have to put it back in. You can put it in and take it out at will with the TFSA. The RRSP is specific for you. You put it in, you want to withdraw it only under the lifelong learning plan or under the home buyer's plan. If you withdraw from the RRSP under those plans, the income is not taxed. If you withdraw from the RRSP because you have an emergency, 
every dollar that you withdrew is going to be taxed in the year you withdrew it. Gotcha. Well, Lisa, we really appreciate learning what we have learned this afternoon, that deadline, March the 1st, which is, take a look at it, Friday. Lisa, thanks so much for the time today. You're welcome. Lisa Gittins, senior tax expert with H&R Block. Look at that. It's like going to school on the radio. Up next, we'll talk about a few people who are still going to school, but they're going to be doing something different tomorrow, right about noon, right at City Hall. We'll give you the details. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Sometimes it is said on this show, always by me, I can't wait until the young people run the world. Most of us need to just get out of the way. Can't wait until young people run the world because they have a different outlook on things. And that outlook, I find, is more inclusive. Every once in a while, you'll hear a bad story about a Snapchat somebody sent to somebody. That's fine. It's not fine, but you're not going to prevent that. Human nature, a little nasty sometimes. But I can't wait until young people run the world. And if we could make that happen sooner rather than later, we'd be in good hands. Tomorrow, there is a London, Ontario Youth for Climate March. And it's happening... At London City Hall, it will get going at noon, and joining us right now to find out what this is all about is Emma Lim, who is one of the organizers of what is happening tomorrow. Emma, thanks so much for taking some time out for us. Uh, Hi, Mike. Uh, Nice to talk to you. Great to talk with you. Now, are you a high school student right this second? Yes, I am. I'm 17. Uh, I go to Banting. Fantastic. Okay. And tell us a little bit about London, Ontario Youth for Climate. Well, uh, it's kind of something I've started myself, um, but it's not just me. It's, it's really a, a huge movement, and I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue to get bigger. Um, you know, I heard what you said, and it's true. We're always told that we need to be the leaders of the future, but, I mean, right now we're in a climate crisis. We have, um, according to the IPCC report uh, by the United Nations, we have 12 years to prevent our planet from from rising 1.5 degrees, and, and really, we don't see, like, any kind of action. Uh, you know, we're still um, implementing fossil fuel infrastructure. We're, we're not focusing on curbing our emissions. So I don't think it's enough for us to really be leaders of tomorrow. We have to be leaders of, of right now because we need to protect our own future because um, the people who should be looking out for us and for our futures, you know, the adults, the the decision makers, um, our government, they're, they're really not doing what they should be. So Youth for Climate is, um, it's about that. It's about calling for action right now in this moment and not waiting. I love it. Now, you've got a good 70, 80, 90, maybe 1,000 years with the way technology works on this planet. So you have a big concern as to how this planet is operating. I don't know whether it's because once you get a little older, you start thinking, ah, you know what, I don't know where I'm going to be in 2032. I'll be lucky to be here. And so I don't really care about that. I know that dollars certainly play a part in all of this. What do you want people to know with what is happening tomorrow? Um. Well, I would like people to know that the climate crisis, that global warming, isn't their fault. It's not the fault of the people. We always hear that we have to reduce, reuse, recycle, and and that's true to a certain extent. But um, just 100 companies are responsible for 71% of global emissions. So really, you could live the perfect perfect green lifestyle, and you'd 
you do almost nothing. So it's not the fault of the people. It's not all our fault. And I think we need to be focusing our energy at at corporations which have placed uh, greed over public interest, um, at government which is perhaps um, motivated by industry and not by people. And I think people should know that that climate change is is multifaceted, but it it will affect um, the most marginalized people in our society. So the poor, like indigenous peoples, um, anybody without the resources that um, the decision makers in our government have will feel the effects of um, of the climate crisis, and, and so will the youth. Emma Lim joining us. Emma is a student at Banting, and I don't know, I'd like Emma to take the reins of the world right now, if, uh, if that could happen. Emma, we'll see what we can arrange, but I'm glad that you are here. Uh, Emma Lim is the organizer of a March Tomorrow, but is also basically the founder of London, Ontario Youth for Climate. And things get going tomorrow at noon. Emma, give us a little rundown as to what will be happening tomorrow. Um, so we're going to be meeting in front of City Hall at 12, uh, just to organize, so we'll have some poster uh, making there. And then we're going to have some speakers, um, all of whom are, are youth and students who are going to be talking about climate and what it means to them. And then we're going to, um, we're going to be talking at our event about our, about our demands, about our aims for the future. We're just trying to call as much attention to this climate crisis as we can, and, and then we're going to march, uh, obviously. <laughs> Now, in terms of demands, can you tell us what some of those might be? Um, sure. You know, I have them here. I'm just going to pull them up. We have some very specific demands with, uh, with um, regards to things like emission. Um, we would like to retain the cap-and-trade uh, model of um, business right now, uh, and we'd like to focus um, on moving away from from fossil fuels, and let me see if I can find it. Sorry. Um, here we go. So I'll read off the the ten that we have. Or okay, please. So the number one for us, the most important one, is we want to limit greenhouse gas emissions to levels compatible with the Paris Agreement. We want to recognize and respect environmental and indigenous rights. So when we say environmental rights. Um, that means the right of the people to live in to live in a world that is safe and safe from climate disasters like hurricanes and extreme weather, but also with breathable air and um, uh, that sort of thing. The third one is price carbon, eliminate fossil fuel subsidies, and get big oil out of politics. I don't feel that our government is representing what we, um, you know, is representing our best interests. I think that perhaps. They are prioritizing money over over our futures. Um, the fourth is to decarbonize the electricity grid and to stop new fossil fuel infrastructure. The fifth is to stop deforestation and strengthen environmental protections. And the sixth is to ensure cities and communities are sustainable, livable, and just. The seventh is to continue to fund education and research on climate change and environmental issues. And the eighth is to ensure equal protection from the effects of climate change, which may be inevitable. Well, Emma, we really appreciate your time, your effort in all of this. Again, starts at noon tomorrow. There are going to be speakers, participants, all high school students. And again, these are the people that we want running our world. Emma, thank you so much for what you have done, what you are doing. Please keep up the great work. Thank you for having me. Have a great day.
You too. That is Anna Lim. Student at Banting. That's why we need to get ourselves out of the way. You know what? Our world is warming. And if it doesn't stop, we do have issues. And a lot of us aren't going to be around to experience those issues. And yes, it does take dollars and it is a pain in the behind and it is this and it is that. But in the end, you know, there's no sign out there of any other intelligent life. We may be it for a a whole big part of this universe. Maybe all of it. I don't know. But we better take care of what we've got. And it's people like Emma who are helping that to happen. Let's take a final break. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up tomorrow on London Live, we will have an award-winning actor. I can't tell you who it is yet. I promised I wouldn't. So I have to keep that promise. All I can tell you, award-winning actor on the show tomorrow. We are going to recognize the end of heart month. Do you really know what congenital heart disease is? And don't just say it's something you don't want. Yes, okay, but you really know what that is and who it affects? We are going to find that out, and we're going to learn a lot about it. So that's coming up on the show tomorrow. We will also get you set for the London Knights weekend that is coming up. We may talk some more Johnny Manziel. may talk some fighting in hockey because I don't know if you've seen the numbers, but in the NHL, things are dropping significantly, and I've got to go back and double-check. But in the Ontario Hockey League, if you fight for a third time, you get suspended. I don't think anybody's been suspended in that way this year. You have three fights in the OHL. I don't think anybody's been suspended. And that says something, too. So what is it about the game that is allowing that to happen? Because for a while, the game had a code. And it wouldn't work if you took out fighting. But things have changed. And I almost think it's a mentality of people that has changed. We'll talk about hockey fights and fighting in hockey. Thanks to Matt McInnes for his help. Next up, we have Jacqueline LaBelle. We have Matt Trevithick. We have John Wilson. We are going to keep tabs on the drive home and all of the big stories of the day. London Live is brought to you by our friends at Winmar, your restoration specialists. This has been London Live, and you're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL.